All right. So let's go. So you'll notice the top of the sheet doesn't say your Shemaim and Israel's world. It says, in search of spiritual integrity in 2019. That's because they're really connected to each other. Um, and we'll see how we'll see how in a second. If you take a look at source number one in your sheet, um, see an article. This article has nothing to do. It has the content of the articles have actually has very little to do with uh, our topic, but the beginning has a lot to do with it. Um, so just take a look. It'd be a good introduction to what we're talking about. If you ever heard Dr. Erica Brown speak, she's a world-renowned uh, Jewish educator. So she says as follows: Yer Shemayim, that mysterious. Well, look at the title. What are we afraid of? Fear and its role in Jewish adult education. So Dr. Dr. Brown is a, uh, a world-renowned uh, uh, Jewish educator. She goes to him all over the country and the world. Um, and is an expert on how to teach in general to adults. She's an adult educator. Um, there was a, there was a uh, whatever, a whole compendium on this topic um, for something called Orthodox Forum. A number of years ago, and this is one of the talk, one of the papers that was that was given at that at the convention. So she writes as follows: Yerushalayim, that mysterious commingling of religious awe, fear, and exalted sense of the sublime, is becoming a more elusive aspect of spiritual spiritual life today. Religion for vast segments of the American population has become a feel-good hobby that generates harmony and happiness, community involvement, and lower stress levels. Yerushalayim, however, is demanding. Fear of God involves another landscape of emotions entirely. Humility, insecurity, submission, and surrender. What does she mean? What does that mean? I think religions become just a feel like what is she, what is she talking about? It's not, it's not, I'm asking, I'm asking. What do you think? Yeah? Right, it's like a social contract. There's something that we like to do on part of a community that's good. We're going to say, John. Or just do things that make feel good. Right, the parts of religion that feel good, the things that make you feel empowered, the things that make you feel close, and that's all great. And that's good. But, but your Shemayim is a totally different ballgame. Right? Your Shemayim requires submission, requires me to feel a sense of responsibility, and it's going to me to do things that I am uncomfortable with at times, right? The sea change in religious attitudes and expectations may be, may be best described by a simple question posed by the art critic Michael Kimmelman, who wonders why we no longer paint pictures of mountains, why they no longer have a hold on us as a natural manifestation of religious dread. He entertains the possibility that the urbanization of society has made our attitude t- towards mountains, among other awe-inspiring aspects of nature, less about fear and more about pleasure. Mountains are no longer wild, irregular, and asymmetrical natural structures that make us feel small through their vastness. Today, we can cable car or hike up mountains and then ski down. Anyone here ever uh, hike up Masada? Right? Did you ever think about it and then decide to take the cable car up instead? Right? Yeah, right? Okay. We may even have cell phone reception at their peaks. It's hard to be in awe of something that's so easy to conquer. Right? The idea of Yira, not just in Jewish life, in the world, the idea of awe and reverence, or giving respect to anything, is is quite quickly, you know, uh, leaving the, leaving the, leaving the world, because it's just so easy to do just about anything, to conquer just about anything, to believe that we know everything about everything, 
technology advances quicker than ever before. And we just feel like we all, every generation knows more than the generation before them. And it's hard to feel an awe reference for uh, that which has come before me and that which I can conquer so easily. Source number two is uh, one of the most famous lines that FDR ever said. You want to take a look later and look at the history. But FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He was actually, if written in context, actually talking about the Great Depression and his decision about how to impact it, how to, how to, how to fix it, and that required giving the government a lot of responsibility, which a lot of people didn't want him to do. So he was arguing, don't fear those who say, don't do what I want. But the bottom line is that, that, that line has been used now to recognize or to symbolize the sense of a, a very much what's in American culture today, which is that fear is the enemy. You don't want to fear anything. Fearing things is dangerous. Fearing things makes us uncomfortable. Even take a look, but if you take a look at source number three, the Pasuk you know well, Right? It's a wonderful thing to be fearful all the time. A person who's fearful all the time, a person who has pachat all the time, that's ashrei adam. Wonderful for a person who's always mefachet all the time. And we know that we daven for it. We daven for it on Rosh Hashanah Kippur. Part of the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur davening, where we add in with all the uvechains. We ask the Rebona Sholem to cause, let it to be in the future. We daven, we hope, that the entire world will have Yer Shemayim. The entire world will be afraid of a Baruch Hu. It's not very, you know, popular today to make such a, such a comment. Make a comment today like that in, in the public square you'd be, right, chastised for such a thing. But that's what we daven for. But I think even we agree that fear... It's not healthy to be afraid all the time. Mifachi tamid, you'd probably say, is, is still something, maybe that's too extreme, that's too hard. How can, you, how can you manage to live in a world where you're afraid all the time? Let's take a look at source number five. Source number five is a, is a translation of al where the Rav tells the following story. A very eminent psychiatrist once said to me, had I had the authority to do so, I would eliminate the prayer recited on the high holidays that begins with the words, cast thy fear, meaning of v'chein tein as fear is the major cause of the mental illness that has beset mankind, it was written a number of years ago. In order to preserve one's mental health, one should be free of fears. And so there's certainly no reason why one should ever pray for fear. Though I'm not a psychiatrist, said the Rav, what he said helped me to understand the true nature of that prayer which was ordained by, ordained by the sages of Israel. And that is what I told the psychiatrist. Everyone seems to be beset with fears of all kinds. Some are afraid of what they might not be able to succeed in their careers. Others fear losing their wealth or status, or that they will fail to attain sufficient prominence. Many people are afraid of sickness and bodily weakness. In generations past, fear of leprosy engulfed the world. Today, people live in fear of cancerous growth. Many people do not go to see a doctor even when they have pains, lest he diagnose the disease. Man is plagued constantly by all sorts of lesser fears. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I do know that one major source of fear can wipe away all those lesser ones. What fear can overtake man thereby uprooting all their fears, such as that of failure, of poverty, of old age, of rejection, or of disease? Only the fear of God. That's the reason behind the expression, the holiday prayer, cast thy fear, O Lord our God, upon all thy handiwork. What's the Rav's argument? What's the Rav's argument? Yeah, Ellie? Like if you're, you have your Hashem, all the other things will sort of fall away. Why? Be a hope. 
recognizing Yad Hashem and everything. So right. So he. So the Rav is not reading Yerushalayim as dread, right? Or as we'll, we'll talk about in a second. Maybe not as Yerushalayim as much as a. We'll talk about it's called Yerushalayimus, right? A, a, a an awe and reverence and appreciation of Kadosh Baruch Hu as as the Melech and as our Af. You feel a relationship with God in that way, then you're not as nervous, right? Then you're not as you're not as worried anymore. We're going to see more about that as we move on. The bottom line is that uh, there's a lot of talk today, and there should be, about positive, positive Judaism, right? Um, like positive psychology is all the rage. So the same way positive Judaism is all the rage. You talk about relationship with God. No one talks about, there's no more fire and brimstones, no more, you know, fiery Muster Shmuzin. see it much, much less today. People can't handle it. Um, and that's good. That's okay. But we have to be careful when we do that and I'm not knocking any mahalach that I, I do that. That's what I do most of my time is I talk positive. And we're going to talk positive today also. But, but it's a, it has to always be balanced. It has to be balanced. And we're going to see the centrality of the concept of Yerushalayim and Chazal in the Torah itself. And how combining Yerushalayim with Abbas Hashem can really anchor us, uh, especially as we get into Yom Naran. Let's take a look at section one, the value of fear in Havos Hashem. Pasuk in source number six, which you're probably very familiar with, it's my Mitzvah Parsha, so I, I like this Pasuk a lot. Uh, says the Pasuk in Sefer, Dvarim Perik Yud, Pasuk Yud Beis. What is the only thing that God wants of you? Just to have your Shemayim. And to follow in all His ways, love God, and serve Him with all your heart. And with all your soul. Rabbi say, what are some of the kashas on this, on this pasuk? That's all. Just everything. Ki'im, all I want is Avad Hashem Yerushamayim, Lachas B'chad Rechav, Kippur on the Mitzvah, that's all God wants? That's, that's, that's one, one kasha. We're going to say, yeah, what else? Yeah? You said, well, ask for one thing, but you listed all. Ah, Ki'im, all God wants is? And you list five things. Good. What else? Anything else? Why is Yura first? Why is Yura the first thing? Is there some significance to Yura being the first thing on the list? Okay? A couple of the Gemaras just to take a look at in terms of the centrality of Yura Shemayim in Chazal. Amar Rav Rav Huna, Gemar and Shabbos, Aflam and person has Torah but doesn't have Yura Shemayim. They gave, you have a treasurer a head of a treasury who's in charge for all the money in the treasury. And they gave him the doors to the, 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 the keys to the safe. But they didn't give him the keys to the outside door. What's the point? If you have Torah and you have no Yerushalayim, you have zero. You have nothing. Talmud Torah can never cool him. Talmud Torah is the most important value in all of Yadis. And nevertheless, say Chazal, that without Yerushalayim, your, your Talmud Torah is zero. It has no value because you can't get in. You can't get in the front door. Later on the Gemara, the whole reason the Kaddish Baruch created the world was so that we should have Yerushalayim. Because God created the world that we should have fear of Him. Source number eight, Everything is in God's hands except for 
your Shemaim. Usually we translate to mean what? When you, if you were teaching this Gemara, you said, everything's in God's hands except for, what would you say? How would you translate your Shemaim? Is that what you have said? That's not what I would say. What would you have said? If I was teaching this Gemara to somebody, what would you, how would you translate it? Everything's in God's hand except for, I would say, free will. I've taught this Gemara a lot of times. Except for our own choices. Our own choices, right? It's your Shemaim. That's not what it says. It says, everything's in our hands except for fear of God. Right? Except for your Shemaim. Which I think is clearly representative of the choices that we make because our choices are very much driven by the amount of your Shemaim we have. Which is interesting to know. How does the Gemara know? So the Gemara asks the question. Hashem says, what's the only thing I ask of you? God doesn't usually ask things of us. He usually commands us. The only thing God asks of us is your Hashemai. Why? Because that's the only thing that He doesn't control. The Mara Nida says that when, uh, when an embryo is created, when a baby is first conceived, the mouth takes that embryo, brings it to HaKadosh Baruch and says, Tipazu, is it going to be Ashir? Is it going to be Ani? Is it going to be smart? Is it going to be not so smart? Is it going to be an athlete? Is it going to be a book, book smart? Is it, what's it going to be? What's the only thing that the Gemara that the Malach doesn't ask the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Sadak or Russia? Sadak or Russia? Low shell doesn't ask the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's not up to God. That's up to God. Okay. So Gemara then asks, "Atu Yerushalayim milsuzuchasi? Kiyin? That's all God wants? Just just Yerushalayim? Barber bichanini b'shum b'shum minochai? Ain lo la Kaddish Baruch Hu beveiskanazav ela otish Yerushalayim bevat." All God has in His storehouse is Yerushalayim. That's it. It's the only thing. God doesn't keep Talmud Torah in His base Kenazah. God doesn't keep our tears of tefillah in His base Kenazah. The only thing He keeps in there is Yerushalayim. But the bottom line is, if that's true, why does why the Torah refer to it as Ki'im, just? So what's Gemara's answer? In for Moshe it's a small thing. What's it like? It's like a person you go ask them for. Gemara says, Moshe la admishim evakshim menuchli gadu. You're asking for a big, a big pot. V'yeshlo doma v'yeshlo. He has it already. Doma lo v'kichlichat. And so for him, it's like a small thing. And if you ask someone for something they have already, it's not a big deal. So for Moshe Benu, who spoke to Rabbi Moshe for 120 days on Har Sinai, didn't eat and didn't drink. So for him, Yerushalayim is not a big deal. Why not? Because he experiences God face to face. So for him, it's not hard to think, well, the Rebbe is watching me. He speaks to the Rebbe So for him, it's a small thing. What's the kasha in this Gemara? We're not Moshe We're going to get there. We're not Moshe That's everyone asking this, this Gemara. It's a, it's a nice answer. Yeah, for Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not a big deal. So he says, it's just Yerushalayim. But Moshe Rabbeinu is not speaking to himself. He's speaking to Klai Yisrael. So we're going to have to, we'll get there. We're going to get there. But the bottom line is, this Gemara is very clear. These two Gemaras are very clear about the centrality of Yerushalayim. Right, the fact that it's not just like a nice thing, but it is the only thing in a certain sense. Because if I don't have Yerushalayim, then I'm not making any deposits in the Rebbe Shalom's treasury. If I don't have Yerushalayim, then all my learning doesn't really matter, it sounds like. Right, Yerushalayim is the one thing that Moshe Rabbeinu was Shomel Me'imach. It's the one thing Hashem asked from us. So you should probably figure out what it is, right? Take a look at section number two. What is Yerushalayim? So you want to know what halacha is? So where do you look? Skip, skip source number nine for now. Go to source number ten. Says the Sefer Achinuch. What is the mitzvah of Yerushalayim? 
What does it mean to have your Shemayim that you should what? What does that mean? Shouldn't sin. You're not going to sin because you're thinking about Hashem. Okay. Klomar shenira bias ansho. Because I'm nervous about getting punched. I'm nervous. Hashem's going to punish me. Right? The very basic love of your Shemayim is, don't worry, that's not the only one. The very basic love of your Shemayim is, I am nervous that Kosh Baruch Hu promises if you do the right thing, you get a reward. If you do the wrong thing, you get punished. So I should be nervous that if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to get a punishment. That's a basic, basic level of your Shemayim. And that's how the Sefer Chinus explains it. I love Kolayom. We shouldn't be thinking about him all day. And what's Shoresh HaMitzvah? What's the bottom? What's it really all about? Sefer Chinus Chinus explains what the Shoresh HaMitzvah is. What's this Mitzvah really about? Any person who ever has seen the sun, any, any human being would understand. The greatest way to prevent a person from making mistakes is another Rebbe staring at me. And if he's looking at me and I do something bad, he's going to punish me. So if I remember that he's there, right, I'm not going to do the wrong thing. Little kids sometimes, right? They'll be in the house. I have lots of little kids. So they're in the house and they and they and they think they're sneaking around to do something, right? That they're not supposed to do, and then I'll, and you can like because you're paying like sneak behind them, right? And all of a sudden they do this, right? They, like, they look up and they realize like gotcha, and they drop it, right? So that's a little child has that experience, they, uh, right? and they put it away, they pretend, right? So it's kiilu, but we're the same thing in Bashal. Right? We know what we want to do, and then all of a sudden we remind ourselves, right? There's an emotional in the world, and I and I stop. I stop. I don't go. That's the, that's the basic love of Yerushim. Fine. But continue to say Rachinah. For the Haggis Bechamagim Chosman. Look where it's bolded. The next line. Vizos Achas in the Mitzvos Hatimidios Ala Adam Shol Yap Yipasik Chiyuvan Me Ala Adam La Olam Efil Rega Echad. It's one of the six constant mitzvahs that a person has to be taken care of at all moments of one's life. It's a little bit intense, so we'll have to see how we can do that. But the point is that it's, 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 it's a mitzvah timidios because it, what, it has to be by definition, right? Because the whole point is that it's a, it's a mindset. It's not an action that you are constantly doing. You're not doing your shamayim all the time. But it's a mindset that a person has to cultivate. That sense of your bonus is always there. Fine. But, that's not the only level. And the Shem points out in source number 11, the Raman points out as well, as follows. And basically it's like this. Without, you can see it inside later, but basically what he says is like this. There's basically two and a half levels of Yerushalayim. Your, level number one, which is the most basic, is Yerushalayim. I'm nervous that Yerushalayim Shalom is going to punish me. And by, by the way, he argues it's very immature. The Raman also argues it's a pretty immature level to be like just nervous about getting punished. I would argue that today, it's already a pretty high level. Right? A person can... Can, can hold themselves back from doing Averis because they're nervous about a, a God they can't see and they can't hear and they can't touch who at some point Ahamir is going to give me a punishment that's already like in, in this society that's a pretty high level right in the old days everyone believed that non-Jews believed it also and it was, it was something that was pervasive in society today it's not so even at the U.S. Ha'onesh it's already a, I, I would argue a pretty high level thing to feel but says the Mesut Shasharim says the Ramchal there's another level also that's what we call Yiras Haromimus Yiras Haromimus is not a fear that Hashem will punish me 
but a recognition of who God is and what God provides for me and what God does for me and a, and a, and a feeling of like awe and reverence that I would never want to cross him not because of what he will do to me but because of who he is yeah Early. Oh, so we're going to see. We're going to have to see how it connects to Abba Shem in a second. We're going to get there. You're going to see, you're going to see the Rokhasadi, you're going to ask him the same question. Okay, we're going to see the Rokhasadi connect, and you're going to ask him, you're going to see the same thing. But, but he writes that a person, look on the left side, on the top line. How can I do that? The Bolshalom says, no, how can I do that? How can I act like that? Right, when, I, when, we were, when in the presence of one of our Abayim, who we have maybe a shtickle awe, a yira of some of our Abayim at times, which is good. And we're like, in bit, right, we act a little different in front of the Rebbe than we do when the Rebbe's not around. Why? Because he's going to punish us? No, because what? Why? It's embarrassed. It's like pasnished to act like that. You know that. You know that he knows that. And it's like embarrassing to do something, certainly if you ask him to do it, that even, even worse. But not that he's going to punish you. You're nervous about, but I can't. I can't, act, I can't be like that. It feels wrong to, be, to act that way because of who he is. The third level he talks about, which is like 2B, is the Yerushachet. Yerushachet is not just a... Yerushachet is a, is, a, is a feeling in general leading me to avoid others. Yerushachet is like what, what causes me to constantly be concerned I shouldn't violate the mitzvah. Am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I making sure to be makayim the mitzvah? Making sure that I'm not doing something I shouldn't be doing? Yerushachet, it, it, it comes out of Yerushachet. I, I wouldn't ever want to, if my parents asked me to, to do something, I'd never want to violate. Again, not because I'm going to get punished. I'm more mature than that now. I'm older. I'm 20 years old. I'm not nervous my parents are going to ground me. I don't want to let them down. It's a different experience. And the Rambam makes this distinction also. But take a look, skip 12 for a second, and go to source number 13, which is Orch HaSadikim. Orch HaSadikim says something even, even more, I, this is amazing. This is amazing Maramakam. He says as follows, Uvumakam acher namar v'yirei elokim ubeyaro, what does it mean to, to fear Hashem? Shemis yare midin onesh shamayim umigehenem umeanshi olamazeh I don't want to get. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to Gehenna. Okay, that's the lowest level. Vizos hamida rechoka mina ava meod mo. But that mida of just being afraid of getting punished is very. That's not. That's very far from loving a kaddish brach. Okay. Ava yira Hashem isbarach kama adam shaohe ves ishto v'hiu avto. Like someone who loves his wife, and she loves him. If vuhu yare la sos davar shekenegidan. I don't want to do anything that would upset her. Because I'm nervous that what will happen if I do something that she doesn't like, I'm going to lose her love. What does that mean? I'm going to get punished? What does it mean? How do you describe that? It's a relationship. I'm so in love with my wife. My wife is so in love. Her woman is so in love with her husband. That what? You never want to do something to upset them. Not because you're nervous about the punishment. And not even because like, you have such an awe and reverence that it's like you're scared. But because you care so much about the relationship that if you 
step out of line and do something that would be upsetting to that person, it's going to impact that relationship that you have with her. Right? When you do something that you break trust with your wife or a wife with her husband, it takes time, it, it creates a distance and it hurts. It's painful to have distance in that relationship. And it takes a lot of time to rebuild that trust and to rebuild that relationship. So that's not Avas Hashem. He's calling that Yira Shemayim. My fear of transgressing because Shema is going to impact the relationship that I have with Yubonashul. That relationship matters to me. By the way, it can be the same thing with a father and son, or a mother and son, or a father and daughter. Right? By parents, hopefully, if we have a healthy relationship, and not everyone does, but if we have a healthy relationship with our parents, so we love our parents, the rubs, and it says in one second. Take a look, actually. Take a look at the rub. In source number... We'll skip for a second. Don't skip yet. We'll get there in a second. The Rav's going to talk about this. There's a relationship with the parent. But the point is that I have that relationship. It matters to me. It matters so much that I'm afraid to fracture it. That Torah Chazadikim says is Yerushalayim. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Source, the source before that in source number 12, I brought you a story from Ephraim Goldberg. You can read it later if you want. But I'll just tell it to you outside for a second just because of time. Basically tells Misa, there's a in, in Bonn, Germany, is uh, Beethoven's house. Beethoven lived. And in that house is the piano on which Beethoven wrote many of his symphonies. The, the piano is worth $50 million. So there was a group of students from Vassar College who came to visit. And they're online. Everyone walks by the piano. There's a guard standing in front of the piano. And no one can touch it. So one girl basically says to the guard, I'll give you, whatever, 50 bucks. If you let me play the piano for for one minute, 30 seconds. She says, okay, he lets her in. She plays the piano for a minute. And she says to him, I bet you everybody who comes in here, all the famous pianists probably play this piano, right? Take a look at source number 12 for one second. This line. Look what he says. Third paragraph. I suppose over the years, all the great pianists have come here have played the piano. No, miss, the guard replied. In fact, just two years ago, I was standing in this very place with Ignacy Paderewski, I don't know what that is, but I guess he's a famous pianist, visited the museum. He was accompanied by the director of the museum and the international press who had all come in hope that he would play the piano. When he entered the room, he stood over there where your friends are standing and gazed at the piano in silent contemplation for almost 15 minutes. The director of the museum then invited him to play the piano, but with tears welling in his eyes, Paderewski declined saying he wasn't worthy even to touch it. Non-human mammals get what they call goosebumps, the constriction of skin surrounding hair follicles when they feel threatened or attacked. Only human beings get goosebumps for a different feeling, awe. Awe is that feeling of being in the presence of greatness, of being exposed to that which is transcendent or extraordinary. Paderewski was in a room with Beethoven's piano and was frozen with awe. The young student saw the piano and thought it was cool to casually play it. The, the point is, and I think this is how you start to, to, to see, probably your, my experience certainly, is that I find that the Rebbeim that I've had, the greater the Tamachacham, very often, the greater the Yerushalayim. Why? This phenomenon. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. The more you think you're climbing closer to the Rebbeim, the more you realize, holy cow, I'm not even close. And one feeds the other. And that's why Torah without Yerushalayim is a zero. 
Maybe because the Torah is not really doing what it's supposed to do. So we see Yerushalayim to this point as a very basic level, as something that simply Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, we should say, which is itself, I think, valuable. It's valuable in life. First Allah and Shachanar. The way I act when I'm in, when I'm in, fa, in, in front of a, a Melech Gadol is different than the way I act when I'm just by myself. I'm always in front of a Melech Gadol. So that itself is helpful. But then a second level, the Yerush HaRobimus, either just a sense of, holy cow, I recognize that I'm not all I think that I am, creates a certain level of humility for a person, and also that sense of relationship. I just don't, I don't want to fracture that relationship. It's too important to me. And when I have that, then uh, everything else flows from there. But take a look at this. What, so what about Abbas Hashem? What about Abbas Hashem? So Ramban Chassam Sofer in verses 15 and 16 say something phenomenal. Ramban doesn't even tell me that's phenomenal. But he says, how do you understand Shamor V'Zachor? And he basically argues that Shamor is representation of Mitzvah's Lo Sase in general, which is representative of Yerushalayim. And Zachor, which is representative of Mitzvah is representative of Avas Hashem. Why? When you love somebody, what do you want to do? You want to do for them. When you're afraid of somebody, what do you not want to do? You don't want to cross them. You don't want to disappoint them. And what we know, he said, we know, that Avas Hashem is greater than Yerushalayim. And that's what we have a concept of Asay docha, los asay. Why? Because the value of being able to do for someone that I love at a much higher level, right? Relationship-wise, than not rebelling against someone that I care about. Right? Doing for them is much higher than just not just not doing the wrong, right? However, says Ramban, it works in the opposite direction also. That's why the the onshin for los asay is so much so much more intense. Why? When I don't do a mitzvah say, I bitla say it's wrong, I should do it. But if I don't, what happens? I didn't do the positive thing for that person. If I violate a lot say, what did I do? I rebelled against your bonus. So that's like Malkus and Misa and all these follow for generally for losases. Not for bitla say. Very few bitla say. We have some, but very few bitla says result in that high level of, of, of punishment. And the uh, Samsofer explained that's also why we have a rule in general by Mitzvah say you don't have to pay more than a fifth of your of your net worth for a Mitzvah, right? If you have hundred, if you have thirty bucks to your name, and a lulav is going to cost you fifty dollars, you don't have to, you don't you're you're putter, you're honest to buy a lulav. But if but if you have if you have to give up money to not value the losa say, you have to give up all the money all the money you have. Why? Because a losa say is a rebellion against your bonus. Say is doing some positive. Yeah, like the Svar of us say when the opposite be true that like if you do something to show that like you care about them, you're going out of way, and then you cross them at the same time. So like so like fandom how it comes out of me. Yeah, it's nice, but you forgot about this basic thing which I don't like and like it's So he says, he explains it. He says He doesn't really say. He just says, Again, the Rebbeinu Shalom is the one who set up Asei Dochalos. Right. But it's the point that's reflective of the, of the relationship. 
That's the point. You're right. In economic. In real life, you have, to be, you have to understand. But yes. So let me ask you this. So if you have this higher level, if I have this higher level, right? So why does Bono Shalom say, why does Moshe Benny say, Ki'im the year as Hashem lekecha. Well, I want to hear Shemayim. By the way, the Gemara doesn't ask, is Avram Milsa should see? Gemara doesn't ask that, right? Why? Because the, the push-up shot is that what Moshe Benu is saying is, what I want is Yerush Shemayim. And then what happens after that, and you see your first says the same thing, comes after that, if you have Yerush Shemayim, what's going to happen? So all those things will follow if you have Yerush Shemayim. How's that? Look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. The Orachayim in source number 17 says, second line where it's bolded, All he asks for is Yerush Shemayim. Why? If you have your Shemayim, you'll do all the mitzvahs. If you have your Shemayim, you're not going to give up. You're not going to let anything go. And in, in Rehersh, which I, the piece I skipped before, but you can t- take a look later if you want, so it's in your mind. Rehersh says this out. He says, when a person has your Shemayim, and you have an honest approach to Torah Mitzvot, and you really are all in, you can see how that commitment to a life of Torah Mitzvot enhances your life. Um, you don't even hear of Mati Burger. Mati Burger, which used to work, work at Asia Torah. So I was in Yeshiva, I like it. Bob, like a, some anti-spy training program. We got to meet with Mati Burger for like an hour. And he said, when he, when he works in Kiruv, he doesn't tell people they should keep mitzvahs because you don't want to go to Gehenna. He says, you should keep mitzvahs because it gives you a better life than Bala Mazar. So it's just better for you. Because I'm just telling you, don't forget God, he says. Not really, right? But it's going to give you a better life, Bala Mazar, Torah mitzvahs. And that's the sort of exact point of the first says. When a person is all in because they have your Shemayim, they come to a place of opposition. This is amazing. I get it. I appreciate it. I understand what it is. And then I'll be the last of the Chodra And I'll give the Chodra Rachav and It's going to happen on its own. The Yubar is only asking for your Shemayim. Because if you have that, you will have everything. You will have everything. Hutner in Surah number 18 says a very similar idea. He says it a little bit differently. He says if a person has only your Shemayim, it'll be okay. It's lacking. But if you have only Avas Hashem, he says, it's a train wreck. You have nothing. Why? Why do we call it Yerushalayim? We call it Avas Hashem. Because Yerushalayim is reflective of my sense of how different I am than your bone. Because Baruch was up there and I'm down here. Avas Hashem. Why does a person love somebody? You love those. Dasha points that also. You love those who you are similar to. You love those that you feel we have something in common. Ava comes from the sense of I'm Malakim. I'm like your bone shoulder. But I have I can Mahu Afata. I can be like a I have potential to be like your bone shoulder. That's an incredibly amazing thing, and I love him because I, I want to be like that, right? If I have only that, what's gonna happen? I don't have your Shema on the other side. What's going to happen to a person? It's just a little guy, but right? I'm, I'm like your bonus one. It's dangerous. 
just Abbas Hashem. I just feel like how I just want to be like God and like God. That's great, but if I don't have the hachna also, the sense of why well, I'm also teeny tiny and a nothing and no nothing compared to the then I'm missing something. And that's why what we're really looking for is both at the same time. Look at the rub, source number 19. Salvatic writes, fear and love are mutually contradictory, but awe and love do not negate each other. On the contrary, they're entwined with each other. A great personality can bring about feelings of love and awe at the same time. If you have a Rebbe to whom you're close, a parent, hopefully, has the same impact on us. That's a hard thing being a parent. Right? You can love your child tremendously, your child should love you, but your child also knows they don't sit in your chair. You love your father, but you wa- stand up when he walks in the room. You might have a disagreement with your father, but the way I'm going to talk to him is going to be different than I talk to my friend, because it's my father. That martial summit is, is becoming more difficult day by day, because people don't want to do that. But the point is that my goal, my goal in my relationship with Karash was to have the same type of relationship. Where I feel this, this desire to be close, because I just... He's just so amazing what he's done for me, what he created, and what he's given us, and what he does for us day by day. It's so incredible. I just want to be close, but I can't be that close. I have to keep a distance also at the same time. But that's possible at the same time. It's not a contradiction. It's not terror and fear. It's awe and reverence. And when they go together, then I have a lot to work with. And I think that this construct is incredibly important for a lot of reasons. Because, and especially as we come close to Yom Naran, first of all, it has to do with how we approach mitzvot in general. Right? When we, A, it helps us just in terms of focus. Right? When I'm a person who has a year Shemai, a sense of the Baal Shalom is real, he's there, he's watching, he's with me. If I could step back and cultivate for my sense a real sense of Shavis Yashem and Nekitamim, that's a great engine for so much of what I want, what I want to accomplish in life. But it, but it also helps us, and that's why I wrote, I talked about um, spiritual integrity. It helps us be honest with ourselves in mitzvahs. Right, when I when I have a, have a mitzvah that's really challenging, a halacha that creates tension for me, and I'm able to say to myself, well, I, I, I'm in for everything else. And now I'm stuck, and this one's really hard. And I don't want to ask a shallow, because I don't know what the answer's going to be. And I, but I do anyways. And I overcome. That's your shemite. Because that's a sense of, I'm, I'm in, I believe in this. I'm here all day, I'm here all day. Right? And then the hashkach is not so good. And like that's, yeah, but it's, it's probably fine. I heard that the guy's wearing a velvet and he goes in there like, I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. Or do I say, actually, I'm not sure, and because I'm not sure, I'm actually not going to go. Sometimes when we don't do, that's the greatest manifestation of our commitment to the Yudon So another example. Source number 25 is Relichtenstein. I'm running out of time here. Relichtenstein basically argues the following. Relichtenstein talks about his own struggles with certain areas of Torah that are challenging to him. He spoke specifically about Amalek, but other cases, and we have plenty of them today. Of, of examples of in Yanim in, in the world that don't stim anymore or don't seem to stim with Torah values. And what do we do when that happens? So Lizzie was talking about Amalek and how those are, there were those who argued that how can I be moral and also 
you commanded to kill little babies. So Lusitzin argues as follows. He says, look, I learned about Rav Chaim's elevation. And I heard he said that Rav Chaim would go every morning and open the door wondering if there's going to be a baby that was left at his doorstep. Because there were women who had illegitimate children who would drop the baby off at Rav Chaim's house in the middle of the night. So every day he would go to check, is there a, is there a baby that I'm going to take into my house? So Rav Chaim had the level of Yemes Chassadim that we can't even imagine. He was the greatest gone of his century and many centuries. That he had the greatest level of Yemes Chassadim. So he said, so he said, I said to myself, Rav Chaim was a tremendous gomachas, a tremendous moral sensitivity. Yet, he lived a life committed totally to Torah and, Torah and halacha, even though there are halachas that seem not to fit with morality and sensitivity. So what did he do? So he said, well, I guess if that's true, then he was okay. So I guess I can be okay. He said, how? He said, because you don't have to have less morality, be less sensitive. We have to have more years from life. More recognition that we don't know everything. That everything, that we think we know everything because we live in 2019 where everything is on the internet. And I can find everything and I know everything. I can look everything up. And actually, I know very little. Yet people feel they can just decide that they know everything. The Torah must be archaic and wrong. And are you, are you Lichtenstein, who was one of the tre- tremendous going of his generation and one of the most tremendous morally sensitive people of his generation, yeah, sometimes we're stuck. You know why? Because sometimes we don't know as much as the Yibam Tremendously important. Tremendously important today, maybe more than ever before. And it's important for one other reason also. One other reason also. Is that there's a Misa where the Judah just told us, my, Michelle told us Misa a few weeks ago, of a, there's a Hevra who wanted to smoke on Shabbos. So they left the town, they left the town, and they went to a barn outside the town. They're sitting there smoking on chaps. And all of a sudden they hear, someone's knocking on the door, and they get very nervous. The door busts open, and it's the road of the town, and some, you know, community leaders. Well, it's great, we're doing smoking on chaps, it's terrible. So the first guy says, oh, I'm so sorry, he says. Didn't realize it was Shabbos. Second guy says, I'm so sorry. I, didn't, I missed that day in Yeshiva, I didn't realize that smoking's us around chaps. Third guy says, I'm so sorry that I didn't lock the door. When I have your Shemayim, I can be honest with myself in the Kaddish Baruch. I believe. I'm in. I like this. This is good for my life. I believe in a life in Torah Mitzvah. But you know what? There's some areas that I, I, have, I talk, I struggle. I have a hard time. All of us do. All of us have some area of Avodah Hashem where we struggle. We have a hard time. And the question is, how do we address it? Do we say, yeah, but everyone else does also. It's not really that important. Or do I say, hi, we have a relationship here. You and I, we talk to each other all the time. Let's be honest for a minute. I struggle with this. It's real. It's a real din. It's a real thing. I have a hard time. I may not fix it today or tomorrow, but I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to get myself on the road. I'm going to put some things in place. I'm going to try to work. I'm going to try. But just, I'm being honest with you that it's hard for me. And maybe, by the way, maybe a certain thing is even too hard for me right now. But I'm on my way to it. I'm on my way. I'm working. When I have your Shemayim, I can be honest with myself and ask the Kashvah. 
and you can have an honest conversation with somebody, any person you have trouble with, then you can work out the relationship. If I'm unwilling to be honest with myself that I have something that I struggle with, that I have a hard time with something, and I just kind of like shove it aside, I'm never going to repair that relationship. You're Shemayim. Being able to look Rebbe in the face in a certain sense and talk to him because he's really there. Because I recognize he's there because I believe that he's there. Allows me to have an openness with myself and an openness with Harsh Barucho as I approach him and young people. So my, my bracha to all of us is that as we uh, move along and approach the Yom Ayom Venora tomorrow night, that we work on this, on our ability to have Yerusha Mayim. To look at our Shparachu as our father, who we love and revere at the same time. To come to a meaningful, loving relationship with a God that we want to have a relationship with. To remind ourselves to think about and speak about the challenges that we have sometimes, even theoretically and philosophically with Torah with a sense of reverence and a sense of I may not know everything I can ask the questions but how do I ask them? I ask them with, with a shtickle humility recognizing I may not know everything just yet and also that we should have your that frees us to be real with ourselves about who we are and to be in a process of figuring out who we want to be wishing everybody a, a, a